stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm going solo to talk about how to start investing in your 50s. This is stock investing. How do you do it? Is it too late? You know what my answer is going to be. Of course, it's not too late. And how do you even start? Where to begin? All those kinds of things. Now, someone on Twitter was telling me, um, you know, ask me questions about this topic because a lot of things are written about how to start investing. But when you're in your 20s or maybe your 30s, so when you're a bit younger, and even just this week, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal about teenagers who had started investing which is fantastic. Good for them. They should start young. The younger you start, the more time you have to compound, as we all know from listening to this podcast. So uh, I love to see that. And the article was very inspirational that these young people are wanting to invest in stocks. But what if you had just never had the chance to do it before, and now you find yourself in your 50s, Is anything different about investing in your 50s? And again, is it too late? So I'm going to talk a little bit about all of these questions on this week's episode, but I'm not going to cover retirement in your 50s. So we're just going to talk about stock investing, maybe just in a side account of some kind. And we're going to leave the discussion about retirement investing to a different podcast. So this is just basically how to start your own stock uh, trading account or investing account, whichever one you want to do on the side when you're in your 50s. So um, investing is really no different no matter what age you're at. We just kind of tend to think, oh, we're older, so something must be different about it. We all have to start with the same basic question when we are thinking about becoming stock investors, and that is... What is our goal? What is the purpose of setting up this account? What do we want to do with the money? What are we growing it to use it on? So it could be many different things, especially if you're a bit older, because again, this is not for a retirement account. So maybe you want to invest in stocks simply because you want the challenge of it. And you've always wondered about stock investing. You've never done it. Maybe you've heard friends or family talking about it and you thought, why not me too? And yes, I want to own Apple stock too. Or maybe you picked up a book recently and it was a book on investing and you were surprised with how much it interested you. So now you want to start your own side account, again, separate from any kind of retirement. Maybe you just want to save some extra money for something fun, like a vacation, uh, a new car. Um, Maybe you're helping to pay for kids or grandkids college outside of a fund for that they could have. And so you're, you want to just save some extra money on the side and you thought, Hey, why not stocks? So it could be a myriad of things, uh, many different reasons why you'd be setting this up, but you should know why <laughs> and you should have a goal because that will dictate everything else. So, um, I know you're thinking, again, that it's too late. And 
you know, there are these articles that you can read, like the one in the Wall Street Journal about teenagers doing it. And you're like, well, I'm certainly not one of those. But older investors can compound too. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. So what does compounding mean? If you're brand new to this, you might not even know what that term means. Well, it means if you're buying it, you're not going to trade it. You're holding on to that asset over a number of years. And the power of the compounding of the interest or the growth in the asset that will compound over time, if this makes any sense. Um, I'm kind of butchering a kind of easy concept, but think of it as you're getting, um, you know, an interest rate or think of it in your own life for your salaries. Maybe you've been getting a 2% or 3% salary increase over a number of years. And then suddenly 20 years later, you might be, you know, 20,000, 30,000 more than when you started that job. That it compounds on itself, basically. So um, compounding helps the more time you have. But you might be thinking, I'm in my 50s. I don't have the time. But maybe your goal doesn't require 50 years of investing to reach your goal. If your goal is to save up enough money to go on a nice vacation, maybe that only takes you five years or 10 years. So the compounding factor isn't that, uh, you know, out of your control. It's not as big of a deal. So on this podcast, we've discussed many older investors and I don't know, I, we never set out to just discuss some older investors. It just kind of happened that way. But many of the big name, uh, well-known, uh, powerful compounding type investors that we've talked about, the ones who bought and hold and who started with small amounts and then suddenly they have millions of dollars all of those years later. But it, that's not really suddenly, right? It takes many years, but then it's revealed, hey, this guy had $5 million or $10 million all these years later. Nobody knew about it. That That is because um, it does take some time to compound, but none of these examples that we've talked about over the years have started like the people in the Wall Street Journal article. They were not teens. They weren't even 20s or 30s. Most have been 40s and above, including one, one of the best of all time average regular Joe Schmo investor people who have been able to compound and grow their stock portfolio um, over all the years, she started in her fifties, although there is some dispute about whether or not she was really, uh, investing well before her fifties as well. But we know that, um, she was, she did start at least one of her accounts in her fifties. She did live to be 101. So she did have 50 years of investing where she could compound it. So it doesn't really matter how you get the years, uh, maybe it's when you're 80 and 90, you've gotten the years, but compounding definitely works better the longer you can be in it. But again, don't let that dissuade you. Just because you're in your 50s doesn't mean you can't compound it. So remember the story about the Boston Pops clarinetist? His name was Edward Abadizian. He ended up donating $100 million to Boston University. He was a clarinetist. He never made anything more than middle-class income, and he did not inherit money. 
So he made all of this by aggressively investing stocks. Now he donated the money in 2022. And at that time, he had a total stock portfolio of about $125 million. That is the most insane of the buy and hold stories I've ever heard. But uh, he was very aggressive in what he bought. He bought a lot of tech IPOs starting in the 1980s when he was in his 40s. So no, he didn't start when he was in his 20s and 30s. He also did use options. I don't recommend that for most beginning investors. He did not recommend it either. He did take a lot of risks. That's how he got $125 million. But your goal probably isn't going to be for $125 million. So there's other things to invest in that maybe aren't quite as aggressive. But he did buy some of the big tech IPOs very early on, including Microsoft. And he also recommended some just basics. That's how he learned how to invest. One of his uh, favorite books is The Warren Buffett Way by Robert Hagstrom. That was on his bookshelf in one of the articles. If you look him up on the internet, he did die in 2022. So he donated all the money and then he passed away. But he was invested from his 40s until about age 85 is when he passed. So... Yes, it was a lot of years, it turned out, but he didn't start that young. So you can do it. Um, the other one was the one who started investing in her 50s, Ann Scheiber. She was in New York City. She was an IRS attorney and auditor. She basically had retired by that point in her 50s and put money into the stock market, which at the time was just $5,000. But today's money, I think that's about 90000 maybe even a little more. It might even be about 100000 now. Um, and then she grew it to $22 million by the time she died at one hundred and one. Again, she did have the 50 years of compounding. That is the magic of compounding. But if you're saving for your vacation, she managed to do that and then some, right? So she just kind of kept saving. She also invested in uh, a lot of kind of your basic name brand stocks. She went for the big brands like the Coca-Colas, the General Motors, those types of companies, a lot of big drug companies because her father was a doctor. So she was familiar with those. But she also did put in a lot of work, as did Edward, the clarinetist. They both read the annual reports, the um, quarterly reports, and Scheiber actually went to the investor meetings. She went to the annual meetings often. And even, I think, in some cases, might have even asked questions at them. So she and he both knew their companies. And that's kind of key, too. So let's talk a little bit about how do you start. Uh, obviously, you have to open up an account. And that is easier today than ever. Robinhood makes it real easy to just get your basic stock brokerage account. And this is for non-retirement. So uh, it's easy to set up over there. You don't need much money to start one up. So a lot of people go with Robinhood. There's other ones. I have an E-Trade account from way back in the day. Those are still fairly easy. Uh, Fidelity, a lot of people tell me, is fairly easy to set up. So you can go with that. Uh, there's There's... A bunch, TD Ameritrade, but choose one, choose one that's just easy for you. There's no right or wrong on setting up the account. Once you set it up, you have to fund it. I do recommend trying to get an account where you can pull it out monthly 
So you're just funding $100 every single month. It gets taken out of your account, gets put into the stock investing account. Maybe it's $200, maybe it's $500, whatever you are saving to go towards your goal, have it transferred over because then uh, you really don't have to think about it and you, you'll you just, you'll have the money when you need the money. But here's a little bit of a snafu. I know many of you fall into this. You, you set it all up, you have the money being transferred over, but then you don't do anything with it. You don't actually buy any stocks. So if you just transfer it over, it's, it'll stay at whatever brokerage companies you have. They'll put it into like a money market account over there. And depending on the interest rate, it might be decent, it, but it may not be. <laughs> so, but your whole point is to invest in stocks. So you're going to have to make some decisions on something to buy in that uh, account. And I know this sounds really basic, but I've been asked this question many, many times. People have told me, oh, I have all this money in, in an account at like this bank, this brokerage account. And I'm like, well, what's it in? And they're like, what do you mean? What, what is it in? They don't, they didn't put it in anything. It's just sitting there in cash. So as a stock investor, that's not what you want to do. You actually want to buy some stocks. So this goes to the next question. What stocks do we buy? And when you're first starting off, that is a big question. Some of you, uh, it may come easy to you. Others, it may not. And that's why, uh, I really recommend for, for first timers, the basics, buying just a basic passive ETF. Uh, that holds a bunch of stocks. Now, the basic ones that most people buy are the S&P 500 index, which is uh, an index of 500 companies, large caps, that uh, you can just buy one of those ETFs. One of the most common ones I recommend is the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF. The ticker is V as in Victor, OO. And that one has low uh, fees, it's just point, let me get it right, 0.03%. That's why a lot of people like these Vanguard ETFs because the fees are low. Now, um, on Zax.com, we do have ETFs. So you can put it into the quote bar. I'm showing this on the video podcast right here. I just pulled up the VOO. Um, we do have Zax ETF ranks. This is a two on the ETF ranks. Um, and it gives us the basics when you pull up, pull it up. It does give some of the news. So if you're looking for articles about it, but one thing I think all new investors should look at, well, here's the ETF expense ratio down here at the bottom part of the page. And you can see it's 0.03, like I said, and, uh, this ETF does pay you a dividend. Now, remember dividend is what the companies are generating in income. They're paying you own 500 companies. They all don't pay it out, but some do. So that money is going to come to you because you're owning all 500. And right now it's $6.36 per share or 1.38% on the yield. That's not too bad. You know, we're getting something for just putting our money in there and letting it sit in there. And we're getting the, um, you know, earnings, the income of all of these companies combined. Uh, but another thing you should look at is if I scroll up the page on the left-hand side in this gray box, it says fund information. And one of the things you should be looking at is the holdings. So I'm, I'm clicking on that so you can all see what's in this 
uh, S&P 500 ETF. So this is not one of the equal weighted ones. There are S&P 500 equal weight ETFs where every single 500 names are equally weighted in it. This one is not. And so the bigger the companies, they're going to have bigger weight in this ETF. So if you think you might want to own some of the big tech names, this is a way to own all of them at the same time. And you can see if I scroll down, the largest position here is Microsoft, ticker MSFT. Uh, its weight is a 7.3% of this entire fund. Apple, 7.24% of this ETF. And Apple AAPL. Maybe Amazon, you're an Amazon Prime member and you love it and you order stuff all the time, but you don't want to buy individual shares. You can own 3.44% of it is in this, uh, weighted in this ETF. So 3.44% of this ETF is Amazon.com. And then NVIDIA follows after that. It's 3% of the weighting. Alphabet, which is Google, 2%, and then Meta Platforms. And then you might have a question because Alphabet comes up after that. Why are there two Alphabets on here? And that's because Alphabet has two different uh, types of shares. Uh, so realistically, um, you would own three, almost 3.8% of this ETF is really in the Alphabet shares. And then you see Tesla, you get some Berkshire Hathaway, and then United Health Group wraps it up of the top 10. So out of the top 10, that's a pretty big chunk of this ETF is in those big cap companies. So you, if you want to own all those big cap companies, this is an easy way to do it. It's fairly cheap. That's why I recommend it for new investors. Another one, if you're really into the tech names, is... Uh, to look for the NASDAQ 100, the Invesco NASDAQ 100 ETF. Many of you, if you're in your 50s, might remember it from the dot-com boom as the QQQs. Well, they have a new version of it out called QQQ, so three Qs, and then Emma's and Mary, and it's the mini. That's what it's called, QQQ mini, and they launched it because the QQQs got kind of expensive on a per share basis. So um, it got, you know, a lot of us don't want to buy. You can see the Vanguard S&P 500 is trading at $455. So if you're only investing, I'm going to go with the triple Qs. Um, oh, no, that's a search ticker. So I'm not even using our own website correctly. Um Okay, so I just brought up the triple Qs. I know we have the triple Q mini in there too. There it is. Um, and I know many of you, you know, are thinking I can't afford the $455 because if I'm only doing $100 a month, it's going to take me forever just to get one of those shares, right? The same with the triple Qs. That's also pretty pricey. That's why they did the mini. It holds the exact same things as the other one, but as you can see, it's only $175 per share. Now that's still pretty pricey. If you're only doing a hundred dollars, um, you're not even getting one share yet, but if you're doing 200, you can buy one share a month. Now that might sound kind of like lame, right? Oh, I'm only doing one share a month, but little, uh, amounts add up. 
if you stay consistent with it and you do it over time. All of the people I mentioned earlier on this podcast did not suddenly have millions of dollars sitting there. It took time and little bit amounts, uh, buy and hold, reinvesting dividend yields in, you know, the dividend back into more shares. And it took 40 to 50 years to get where they got. So this isn't really, you know, this is a longer term type of hold when you're investing instead of trading. And we're talking about investing, stock investing. So the Invesco QQQ Mini does pay a dividend. It's $1.10 per share or just 0.6% because the stocks in the NASDAQ 100 don't tend to pay as many dividends as in the other, in the S&P 500. This also has a higher expense ratio of 0.15% um, because it is a little more actively managed than the Vanguard one, but people have been willing to pay the higher expense ratio to get the QQQs or the QQQM because of what it holds. So I'm gonna go up and look at the holdings in the little gray box again. And you'll see it's going to be very similar to what's in the S&P 500, but this is the NASDAQ, so a little bit more techier, and we swap around the names a little bit. So Apple is the largest weighting in this fund at 9.4%. So if you've always wanted to own Apple and Microsoft and Amazon, those are the top three holdings. Microsoft's 8.5%, Amazon is 4.9%. So... You're getting a big chunk of those three if you just own this ETF. Uh, Broadcom is uh, directly after that at 4.2, and then you're going to be a Tesla shareholder at 3.8%. And then we have some of the other similar names, Meta Platforms, NVIDIA. We have Alphabet again, um, back-to-back there. So Alphabet really should be higher up on the list, but it's separated out by its shares. But really, this is almost uh, 5% of the overall. So it would be, you know, in the top five, higher up. And then we have Costco at the bottom. So this is easy, right? You can buy one of these ETFs, just the basics, and you can start putting money into it every month. And you can do it for a number of years, not really paying as much attention because that's why it's called passive investing, because you're owning a chunk of companies. And so you don't really, uh, you're not paying as much attention to what each individual company is doing on its earnings. How is it growing its sales? What's happening to their CEOs, right? Because you're owning this big amount. Um, but many of you, I know, want to buy individual stocks. So I want to talk about that too. My view, if you're a new investor, is buy what's fun. Buy what you know. That's the old Peter Lynch method. Peter Lynch was a famous mutual fund manager from the 1980s and 90s. He managed the Magellan Fund at Fidelity for many, many years. He's considered one to be one of the top managers ever over the time period that he managed that fund. He did retire in the early 90s, which is over 30 years ago. And uh, he's still with us, but he's out of the industry, although he pops up every once in a while, but he's mostly out of the industry. But he did write um, some books and one of them talked about buying what you know. Now that's the basic simplistic view of it. He never said to just buy what you know and don't do any research. Um, so he encouraged the research side. Go listen in on the conference calls. 
know what the company is doing on their earnings and their sales and uh, you know, know what's happening with management. Don't just buy something blindly and then never check in again, <laughs> basically. Uh, but the buy what you know concept, I am a big fan of because we get excited about owning stocks of companies we like and things we know the products for. So there's no harm in investing in that way. And you should know what the company is doing. You're an owner of it. So if you're a big fan of, say, Apple, we can look up that on Zacks.com and you can see ticker AAPL if you just want to own it. A lot of people do. It's the Zacks number three right now on the rank, which is the hold. And um, it's not that cheap. We have a D style score for Apple now. Used to be cheap, but not so much anymore. I'm scrolling down. I'm seeing forward PE is at 27 and it has a peg ratio of 2.1. So peg ratios are the growth plus the earnings. And a lot of people like to look at it to find value stocks that are also growing. We like to look at it for that on the value investor side of things. And it is um, when the peg is one or below, that's when it's a real value. But here it's at two, so not so much of a value, which is probably why it has the D style score. Now, over on Saks, you can look at the detailed earnings estimates. That's kind of what I want to look at if I'm researching a stock. And scrolling down, we have sales estimates, earnings estimates, we have agreement on the revisions, and then we have magnitude, upside, all this other stuff that if you're new, you're like, what does this all mean? But the key thing to look at is both sales growth, which is this category up here, sales estimates. You can look for the current year and the next year. Um, you can see very low sales growth, and that's the sales of the iPads, the iPhone, uh, that new vision thing that they have, the glasses, um, the watch, all of that. So, uh, and subscriptions too. Apple TV, we can go on and on. Uh, but current year, just 0.7%. Next year, 5.3. And then earnings side, it's single digits, 7% this year, 8.4 next year. So the growth has slowed for Apple. And when the stock was cheap, nobody seemed to mind. It is a little more pricey here, but still many people believe in Apple. Warren Buffett still owns it in Berkshire Hathaway, of course, and has many fans around the world. So this is an easy one, right? If you just want to buy a stock and start from there, buying something you know like an Apple. What about if you're uh, into the weight loss drugs? You think that's going to be like a really big way um thing for, you know, everybody is going to start taking them. It's going to be real popular. Um, it's going to make a lot of these drug companies a lot of money. Eli Lilly has some things in the pipeline, ticker LLY. I'm looking at this one and uh, PE, very expensive again at 63. Let's see, it's a three hold and it's also the D for value, but you get the this B and the growth style score. So it is more of a growth play, but that's why we want to buy it, right? We want to buy it to get access to this, uh, you know, weight loss phenomena thing that's going on out there. We can see sales estimates for this year up 20%, next year up 23% in 2025, and then earnings expect to be up big 96% and then 46% 
2025. So these are the things you kind of need to be looking at if you're considering these companies, if you um, want to see what the sales and the earnings growth are looking like. There's a lot of other ways you can play this. Maybe you bought a Toll Brother home a couple of years ago during the pandemic and you love it and you're a big fan of Toll Brothers. Well, let's look at that stock. Um, it's trading at a two. It does have the A for value, A for growth, C for the momentum on the style scores, ticker T-O-L. It's about to report earnings when I'm recording this. So by the time you listen to this, it has already reported earnings. So again, be sure to tune in to the conference calls um, or at least go to uh, the ticker page and see what the news is. <laughs> that is key. But if you can... And if you want to be like Ed, he was tuning into all this stuff. He wanted to know exactly what his company was doing and when it was doing it and what management's plans were for the future. So full year 2024, we have earnings decline of 1% and then a growth of 3.3% for next year. But earnings about to be reported, so that will be coming in soon and all that will change. Uh, maybe you're into West Elm Furniture and you you did buy your Toll Brothers house and you stocked it with West Elm or Pottery Barn or Williams and Sonoma Furniture, or maybe you bought a new coffee machine from Williams and Sonoma. These are all under the Williams and Sonoma brand. Williams and Sonoma is a three on uh, Zax.com, it's a B for value, C for growth, F for momentum. So it's indicating it doesn't really have momentum. But um, you can see that it's pretty cheap. PE of 15. So I like to see that, but I'm a value investor. You might not care if you're a growth investor. And earnings, though, expected to decline 12% this year, but maybe a little bit of gain, 1.9% next year. Now, Zax.com also does tell you when the next earnings report is, and it's not until late March. So we have numerous weeks still to go until we hear from this company on earnings, and all of this could change. But again, I like buy what you know. There's other ways you can play it. What about if you're a big fan of cruise lines? Maybe you go on Royal Caribbean all the time or you're like a loyalty member there. You really like it and you know the business. Ticker is RCL. Uh, what about Hilton Hotels? That's one of my favorites. Uh, I've stayed at many of them and maybe uh, I just feel like that could be a good investment, but I would need to go investigate some more. But that, that ticker HLT, maybe you're a fan of Costco. There's this like kind of cult of Costco out there. Ticker COST, and that's been one of the better performing stocks of the last several years. Same thing with Home Depot, also a, a pretty good performer here. And a lot of people like hang out there. Maybe you work at Home Depot and you, you love it. So ticker HD there. So you can see, you can play this by what you know many, many ways, right? Um, and that's an easy way to find some stocks. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to find some unknown company to, to find good companies to invest in. Remember, you own the business. But I do recommend just starting off with some of these big indexes that own a bunch of stocks. You can own small caps or mid caps too, but the two most common ones that most people do own are the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. 
because there's all these big cap tech names in it or just big caps in general that most people know and that they love and they use the products. And let's be honest, these big mega companies have won their race. They've beaten out a lot of lower competitors over the years. They've taken those guys off the scene and now they are dominating their markets. And who doesn't like to own companies that dominate, right? So let's recap what you need to do if you're starting investing in your 50s. You have to have your goal. What is the purpose of this money that you're going to invest? Um, you know, know, know what it's for and know yourself, know how much risk you're willing to take. Maybe you're, you're not into these growth names. Maybe you are into the more of the value names. So, uh, invest accordingly, according to your own, you know, risk profile and your goals. Then open an account. Go open up that Robinhood account, get the Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, whichever brokerage you know of or you've uh, maybe tried out and you find it's easy. Robinhood is very easy. They make it very easy like that to just set up an account on your phone, but set up an account. Um, many people also go to their banks and their banks have brokerage, uh, you know, capabilities and you can set one up there as well. But whatever you do, you have to set up the account to be a stock investor. Then make sure you buy some stocks. You can buy again, the VOO, that's the S&P 500 ETF, uh, ticker V is in Victor, OO, or the uh, Invesco NASDAQ 100, the mini one, it's not quite as pricey. It's only $175 only. That's still a lot, but it's cheaper than the QQQs and it's QQQM as in Mary. QQQM is the ticker there. Or just buy what you know. And some of the tickers I mentioned are Microsoft, which Edward had bought um, when it was the IPO, but that was a lot of years ago in the 1980s and it's still going strong. So ticker MSFT. Apple is in all of the, those two ETFs and we just keep mentioning it because many people own it. AAPL, Eli Lilly's, one of the weight loss, uh, drug companies, LLY is the ticker. If you're into furniture and you're like West Elman Pottery Barn, ticker WSM, W as in Wendy, S as in Sam, M as in Mary. Toll Brothers, maybe you, bought a luxury home in the last couple of years, or maybe you want to, and you just admire them. Ticker is T-O-L, T as in Tom, O-L, just three t uh, letters there. Royal Caribbean, R as in Robert, C as in Charles, L as in Larry, Hilton Hotels, H as in Harry, L as in Larry, T as in Tom, Costco, C-O-S-T is the ticker there. Home Depot, H is in Harry, D is in David. And as I said at the beginning, it's never too late. You can always start investing at any age. Uh, we've talked about people who have started at age 60 and are still going in their 90s. But remember, it's really all about your goals. So that's why it's never too late because your goal may be only for five years or 10 years. Uh, maybe your goal isn't for 30 years, but either way, you have to start. So I really encourage everyone to set up that fun account. Investing can be fun. 
You can buy some of your favorite companies and uh, enjoy though their their goods, their products, as well as owning a piece of them. And that's really what stock investing is all about, is owning a piece of these great American or sometimes foreign, but mostly American <laughs> companies. So get out there, set up those accounts and get going. And as always, I'm bringing you all of these podcasts every week here at the Market Edge, and you can get them on Apple Podcasts. You can get our video podcasts on YouTube. Get it at zax.com slash YouTube on our YouTube channel. We also embed the video podcasts into our articles on these podcasts too, so you can watch the video version over there, or you can just listen to the YouTube version as well. Whatever floats your boat, we do have a Zach's podcast page on YouTube as well. Um, as well, we're on Amazon. We're on all the big platforms for the podcast part of it, but get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.